You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Blonde with the eyes of a panther With your cosmic skin and a celestial dancer Oh, you should know this by now your energy is loud I've been knocking you directly when I see you in the From the paranoid place, spinning in and out of space, on a more Istanbul. Millennium, my world. That could be the fun with your love. Millennium, my world. You got it, baby, I'm nothing enough. We're not gonna live, we're not gonna live afternoon. You are listening to Queering the Air on 3CR 855 AM. We just heard a track from Electric Fields, Happy 2000 and Whatever. My name's Em and I'm a new host on the show today and I'm here in the studio with Iris. Yeah, so glad to have you um, and be in the studio with you, Em. Yeah, thanks for having me join the show. Um, yeah, it's really exciting to be here. I've been doing some environmental broadcasting at um, 3CR on Earth Matters and Dirt Radio, so I'm really happy to be joining um, the Queering the Air team. And I wanted to start the show today by acknowledging that we are broadcasting from stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation and wanted to acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging and extend that to any First Nations listeners tuning in from around the Kulin Nation and beyond. Sovereignty has never been ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So today on the show, we are going to be playing some speeches or a speech from the recent Free Palestine rally that was held here in Nam, Melbourne, um, and want to send my solidarity out to Palestinians who are currently resisting the Israeli administration. Um, and we're also going to be discussing the Pride March. So as you may be aware, today marks the end of the Midsummer Carnival. Um, every year that's brought to a close by the Pride March through the streets of St Kilda. And throughout the years, there's been a number of grassroots actions and disruptions bringing attention to some of the intersectional issues that the corporately sponsored and funded parade does not represent. And in particular, this year, there's been a call to get the police out of their position of marching in Melbourne's Pride March. 
Um, yes, there has been. And we will be talking about that very soon, hey? But first, we're going to be going to the Palestine rally yesterday. And for listeners um, who might not know, there's been another rally called on the Saturday. And just because the ceasefire has been called by Israel doesn't mean the Israeli occupation has ended. And we're seeing like attacks at Al Oscar Mosque in occupied East Jerusalem on the daily. So the settler colonial violence that, yeah, our settlers here have to tackle is also there. And we have to stand in solidarity with Palestine. Absolutely. So we'll hear from that in one second. And later in the show, we're going to be chatting with Laniok, who's a Larakia, Kanarakan, Gurindjian, French writer and performer of poetry. And she shared some reflections on her experiences with Pride March on Instagram. So we'll be chatting about that. Um, Iris, shall we play the speech from the rally? Yep. We're going to be hearing from Samar Sabawi, who's an amazing playwright, and, and she gives a really amazing speech at the rally. Yesterday, held at the State Library that marched to Parliament, the Free Palestine Rally, that is. Alright, we've got our next speaker, um, Summer Sabawi. Can you come up, please? Summer Sabawi is a Palestinian. You may have heard of her before. She is a Palestinian activist and a prolific writer for Palestine. Give her a round of applause. Hello everyone, um, a special hello to my grandkids who are at the protest for the first time. <laughs> Yay. I would like to also begin... Hello? Yeah. I would also like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land that I stand on and the land that I've been exiled from the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Palestinian people in the grip of Israeli occupation. And to pay my respect to all freedom fighters, past and present, here and there. <laughs> Palestine will be free and this land will always be Aboriginal. It's important for me to do this because as I lend my voice to the cause of justice in my homeland, in Palestine, I must acknowledge that I live on stolen land where the indigenous people here still have no justice. And that since the arrival of the first fleet in 1788, massacres of indigenous First Nations were committed to wipe out their resistance and to eradicate their opposition in the same way that since 1948, Palestinians have endured. I'm aware as I watch Israel's violence against my people that similar horrors were committed here. Different weapons, different times, for same crime. I know colonization in the way that only a colonized people do. I know struggle and resistance for freedom and liberation in the same way where people who have been oppressed do. And I know that without equality, no society deserves to thrive. And I know that key to our survival is your solidarity. So thank you, Lydia, for being here today. And thank you for all of you who have come to stand with us in solidarity, in real, effective, genuine acts that make us feel like our lives are actually worthwhile because watching the media, you start to think that maybe not. That our dead have the dignity of acknowledgement and mourning. That we are no lesser as human beings than others. I thank our allies who are here today and those who have risked jobs or statuses or promotions to speak truth to a vicious, malicious power. I have heard harrowing stories this week of censure in the media, of reporters being bullied and threatened to withdraw their names from petitions they have signed calling on a balanced ethical coverage of the Palestine issue. I have heard of editors 
who are so fearful of elevating Palestinian voices that they don't even answer the phone when you call. Speaking out against Israel's war crimes should not be controversial. It shouldn't be subjected to some risk-benefit calculation. It should not it should not be weighed against possible career promotion or political victory. It should not be something you consider with your afternoon tea. Huh, should I speak out or maybe not? Speaking up against Israel should be the right, ethical, normal impulse anyone with a beating heart should have when seeing when seeing a genocide unfold before their eyes. It is abnormal and really quite sick to choose to be silent at this time. So for those who have kept their silence, or worse, those who have given a nudge to the war criminals, for the politicians and media puppets who whitewash Israeli crimes for their own benefits, I say shame on you. Oh, okay, sorry. Shame on SBS, especially, for having the least remarkable and the most infuriating and biased coverage of all. Shame on ABC for shaking like a leaf whenever the pro-Israel watchdogs call. Shame. Shame on you, Scott Morrison, but really, we weren't expecting much from you anyway, so. And shame on everyone who took their directives from the Israeli lobby. Human rights are not some strategic tool you use only when it's convenient. Human rights are not some random rhetoric that fills in the blank spaces of your political speeches. Never again should mean never again. To everyone, no exceptions. So shame on those who have allowed this to happen in their name and on their watch. Being progressive except for Palestine is being regressive on your own humanity. Human rights are universal. Palestinians have a right to live in security, but we only hear that about Israel, don't we? Palestinians have a right to live in equality, but who dares say that to a state that defines itself as one for its Jewish people only? Apartheid. Palestinians have a right to citizenship. When did you ever hear the media reporting on the fact that Palestinians have lived as stateless refugees and under Israeli control in Bantustans and in cages since 1948? That's 73 years of bad reporting. And the most controversial right, apparently, that Palestinians have, and that the pundits would tell us, is that Palestinians have a right to defend themselves. We only hear leaders chiming about Israel's right to defend itself. Poor Israel, the world's fourth most powerful army, has a right to defend itself against caged refugees whose homes they've stolen and whose lives they control down to the basics, what food they eat and what dreams they're allowed to have. So let me say this loud and clear. Palestinians have a right to defend themselves. Palestinians have a right to resist the most brutal and ruthless army in the world. They have a right to resist 73 years of settler colonialism and apartheid. And we don't want to wait for another war on the people of Gaza. And it is likely to happen. And we will not wait for another 100,000 Palestinians to be made homeless in one week as we just so happened. And we don't want to wait for more home evictions in Sheikh Jarrah and in Jerusalem. The ceasefire did not end the occupation and apartheid and the siege of Gaza. 
And for as long as Israel is not held accountable, the bombs will surely fall again. But here is the good news. The cries for freedom and for justice were so much louder than the sound of their bombs. So let us seize this moment because we don't want to wait for the right moment. The right moment is right now. Boycott Israel, divest from Israeli companies and call for sanctions. This, this is the time to say enough is enough. That is what Palestinians are asking you to do. This is how you can show your solidarity. Boycotts, divestments and sanctions. Say it with me, boycotts divestments and sanctions boycotts divestments and sanctions don't be afraid we know that most people in australia support a free palestine we just need for the media and the political elites to catch on and what can i say settler colonial institutions are a bit slow on catching on today we mark 73 years of ethnic cleansing of palestine and we still see incredible resistance. Israel's attempts at wiping out our people continues to be met with the ferocity and beautiful resistance. And they continue to inspire us and to inspire the world. Palestinians decorating their bombed homes for Eid celebrations yesterday exemplify this indomitable spirit. It is a miracle of hope and survival. We are a miracle of hope and survival. 73 years of resistance. And we have withstood the test of time. They erase, we rebuild. They divide, we unite. They manufacture lies, we wear our truth like a shield. From Yaffa to Gaza, from Palestine to Canada, to the US, to Australia, to every country on this planet, we remember our past and we know our present and we know that the future is ours. Generation after generation, we remain hopeful. We resist and because of this and because of you, I know we will prevail. Thank you. G'day, this is Ozzy Butler from Astronomy Class. You're tuned to 3CR on 855am or 3cr.org.au. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Keep community radio alive. Peace. Enjoy. And you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris here in the studio with M. And the previous... Speech was by Samar Sabawi at the Free Palestine Rally yesterday. Um, and up next, we have Nick on the line, who is at the Midsummer Pride March, and there was a small disruption and no, like, no pride in police. Banner was held in front of the police um, float for most of the rally, and I was also involved. Can you hear me, Nick? Yeah. How are you going? Oh, having having a bit of a rest. That was a bit intense. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty full on. Would you first like to talk a bit about what was on the flyer in terms of, yeah, 101, why cops are bad? Actually, let's go a bit beyond that. How about, yeah, what sort of conversation did you have with people today and how was the protest received? Yeah, well, I think... The protest was received really mixed. I think the spectators and onlookers were quite divided. Like, there was a lot of people who were, were saying, yep, police should not be part of Melbourne Pride. Pride marches all over the world are banning police, cutting ties with police. Um, and it's time that Midsummer um, did the same with Melbourne Pride March. But then there's also lots of people saying, no, the police have a right to be there too, um, you shouldn't exclude police. We need to be all inclusive, and that includes police. And these sorts of arguments about inclusion, um, which I think are really rooted in this idea that there's like a bad relationship with police, 
And in order to fix that relationship, we have to be like respectful and include police in our spaces and our events, which is obviously incredibly flawed analysis and strategy. Yeah. Um, because there isn't just a bad relationship. Like police are the violent and coercive um, and brutal arm of coercive force um, in this colonial state that enforce rigid gender and sexual norms as well as, you know, racist white supremacist um, laws through the colonial legal system that ends up disproportionately impacting not just LGBTIQA plus people, but migrant communities, people of colour, black and Indigenous people. And we see that, you know, in the increasing numbers of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people being killed in police custody just accelerating and mass incarceration like in the northern territory 100% of young people imprisoned are aboriginal and torres strait islanders police you know this isn't just a bad relationship between police and the queer and trans community like police have a bad relationship with everyone because that's their job their job to enact violence on all of all of these communities yeah, I guess picking up a few things that you said there, um, when I think of inclusion, I think of that like that's a terrain that's like automatically leads to like wanting to include the cops because cop like conclusions co- completely co-opted, and what's the basis to like um, against that sort of idea would be maybe more based on like solidarity with communities targeted by state violence or something because we see those words become empty in many contexts. And I think the other thing is, it shows like there's no such thing as like a queer or trans community. There's like many different communities like divided by race, class, gender, ability, and and people have different politics. And this idea of community is saying it's completely contested and all the time. Um, what do you think about that that whole word? Yeah, well, I think if Midsummer and people who support the police are genuinely um, concerned about inclusion and making sure that everyone, you know, all sexually and gender diverse people are included and feel like they can come to something like a Melbourne Pride March or a Midsummer event, um, then they need to be prioritising people most affected by homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, um, as well as racism, racism and colonisation, um, because at the moment, Melbourne Pride is overwhelmingly white. It's overwhelmingly cis. It's very homonormative. There's lots of corporations um, who march. There's pride in businesses, you know, people's um, employers. Um, there's a lot of space made for police um, and political parties and politicians. And there is all, basically no space made to include survivors of police violence or the families and communities of people who um, have been killed um, in custody, killed by police in custody, or anyone who really has a critique or, um, a, you know, a different experience of policing, There's, those people and communities and families aren't included at all. In fact, they're actively excluded by Midsummer's decision to prioritise police above so many people, even just um, youth groups, high school groups, university, queer departments, unions, all these groups were marching behind police, um, which tells us something about Midsummer's priority. And so it isn't really about inclusion at all. There's a particular politics going on that is prioritising political parties, corporations, police, prisons, um, at the expense of marginalised queer and trans people. Yeah, for sure. Um, what do you think about the whole spectacle of it? Do you think, like, I think the police were divided between police that wanted to, like, stop it, stop what we were doing from happening and police that wanted to just keep the PR um, going. Do you think there was a danger that we got absorbed into the spectacle of the Pride March a bit? Yeah, it's really hard to tell you know, how to position yourself. I and mean, it was we were playing a bit of cat and mouse with police because they didn't want us directly in front of their contingent because then there's a lot of video and 
um, photos, footage of um, people protesting against them, directly against their contingent. So they would always stop. Um, and then it's hard to tell to what extent, you know, is we were allowed to march, basically. The midsummer um, organisers and police were also trying to accommodate us, but I think that was coming from a place of them wanting to avoid a direct confrontation with police because the last thing they want, because this is all about a PR, public image, um, public relations stunt for police and Midsummer, they don't want to um, have something result in bad PR that's, oh, look, police have attacked someone at Melbourne Pride or police did this at Melbourne Pride. They're really determined to avoid that. Um, but it is so. It is really difficult to to know what to how to balance those things, how to be disruptive, um, while, without getting subsumed into the spectacle of the whole thing. And obviously, Melbourne Pride. It shouldn't just be a parade that walks down the street. Like it needs to be a protest that is disruptive and intervening in homophobia, transphobia, biophobia. Um, racism and all of the horrible things that happen in the world. That should be about queer liberation, liberation for sexually and gender diverse people. Um, it shouldn't just be a spectacle, you know, that's bringing in lots of money for restaurants and bars on Fitzroy Street and a good PR exercise for corporations and the police and political parties, like, which is what it currently is. Yeah, it definitely feels like very far away from like a queer liberation, any sort of queer liberation, really, what, like, what Midsummer is. And I guess, yeah, it started in the 90s, and it originally was a bit less corporate, but didn't really have a radical edge to it, even in the 90s, but it was more community-orientated from what, I'm read, what I've read as well. Yeah, and from yeah. what I've read too, actually, um, the first Pride March in Melbourne actually came about kind of connected to one of... Melbourne's most, um, you know, homophobic police brutality incidences, which occurred at Tasty Nightclub in 1994, where police locked in over 450, um, you know, revelers and conducted really intrusive cavity searches for over seven hours. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, you know, I guess really interesting that now we're at a point, you know, 25 plus years in the future from that and that history and that kind of spark of what helped to form the march is practically non-existent from anywhere on the Midsummer website or anything that's connected, you know, kind of with the PR for the event itself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing about the history of these things or even current, current things and holding space for the full diversity of people's experiences of not just policing, but all kinds of homophobia, transphobia, biphobia. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks so much for joining us on Crazy and Nick. Thanks so much for chatting. I hope um, people get inspired by, you know, grassroots community action against this kind of stuff. And, you know, next year, if you're involved in a group, you can sign on to the open letter opposing police involvement in Melbourne Pride, or you can get together and organise something to disrupt Melbourne Pride next year or all of the things that need disrupting. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like what people do before, like in the in-between, that's really the key to me rather than the Pride spectacle. And that'll mm. change what, like, the landscape is. Yeah, there's so many things that happen in between as well, but also not just about events, but um, community building and education and skills and knowledge and so many important things to do in between time. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, hopefully we can see the energy that um, is around from the open letter and things sharing on social media and the event today, we can see some of that rolling on into those actions that happen in the meantime. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, we've run out of time, but just one thing I'm going to announce is there is a counter-rally to a... A pro-Israel rally that's been announced by Jews Against Fascism, so check that out. And I might be heading there now, so bye, listeners.
Thanks for joining us, Iris, and thanks for joining us, Nick. I'm going to go to a song now. The track is Burn by Race Rage, and this was part of the project for The Change. You are listening to 3CR. is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you yours. to all What's of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here, and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 8377. 
3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June, and this year, we're asking you to be part of community-powered radio. It's only with your support that we're able to be independent, community-controlled, and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon powers the station to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax-deductible. 3CR Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021. 3CR Community Powered Radio. You are on 3CR. This is Em, and I'm here today doing my first hosting on Queering the Air. Iris has left us um, to go to a counter rally, so it's just me with you until 4 pm. Um, and we've been chatting today about. Palestine rally and also the Pride March, which has been on today. There was a disruption earlier. And today, now I'm also joined in studio by Laniok, who was commissioned to write a poem about uh, the march itself and shared some really interesting thoughts about that on Instagram, just in connection to some of the complexities of, you know, wanting to connect in with these spaces as a queer person that have been highly corporatized um, and don't really serve us um, as queer people. So thanks for joining us today, Laniak. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you in the studio, to have guests in the studio. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's so nice to be back in the 3CR studio space to be amongst radical politics. And I'm so excited for our conversations. I'm so excited. Yes, yes, it's great to be here. So I thought maybe we could start if you'd like to read your poem, because, um, yeah, I heard it earlier and I found it really powerful. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it could be great. For sure. To be queer is to be in step with your ever-shifting spirit, even when your spirit is out of step with your surroundings. Today, I am who I am. To be queer does sometimes mean to sit in awkward silences with family or to block punches as you walk down the street, to not be able to read about people like you in books, to have your morality talked about on TV, to be told who you are is a phase. That no one else in your family is gay. Although we suspect otherwise, eyebrows raised. To be queer is to be in sync with the rhythm of life. Pounding the ground on arrival, I am here, I am queer, I am floating through the air like a brick to the face of the colonial state. The first pride march was in rage. Led by black and brown trans women, it grew to a global movement that couldn't be contained. The first pride march was a protest as colonial laws tried to push us into corners, tried to push us into hard places in our minds. They said conform to these binaries. We said it's not within our nature to be straight lines. But over the years, we've been sold conformity for corporate promotion and capitalist greed, the pink dollar in exchange for a token show on TV if we shaved away enough of our edges we could fit more snugly into heteronormativity. Pride has become powered by banks and capitalist values. Cops are invited to march alongside the same people that they persecute. Being a cop is not an identity. It's an armed and violent branch of the ongoing colony, an institution designed to maintain systems of control and to protect private property. The police don't give a fuck about your safety. If the laws change tomorrow, they would enforce without hesitancy. The police is not an identity. The same people who created laws to confine us to closets now play inception and confine us from the inside. What does it mean now to march with pride? To march in straight lines? Eyes fixed or projected concept of freedom that does not stop to pause at the intersections. Who else in this world sits at the intersection of gay? And who isn't marching today? Not out of lack of pride or out of shame, but because we're still raging against the many injustices performed by the state and white cis gay culture seems to think that that's okay then goes on to appropriate the language and culture and dress of black and brown finesse regurgitates to make money without working to make amends. There's a reason black and brown had to be added to the flag. Because we're still fighting for the same visibility as back in 1970, and it seems to me Pride March chose assimilation over solidarity. 
Not everything that glitters is gold. So today, some of us show safety over visibility and not just from the outside world, but within our own community. Rainbows and loud music just isn't enough and we've come to realise that you're never really marching for us. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. And that's a pretty um, pretty powerful introduction, but perhaps you want to just introduce yourself for listeners who haven't heard your poetry before. So my name is Laniuk. I'm Larakia Kungarakan and Gurindji, which is around the Darwin city region. Darwin being Larakia, the neighbouring country, my grandmother's country, Kungarakan, and Gurindji a little bit further into the desert, French on my mum's side. Um, I am a poet a writer of memoir, speculative fiction, um, and I hope to one day write for TV and film. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> yeah. So this poem that you shared, um, I guess previously to that, you shared on Instagram some thoughts around creating the poem um, and kind of, yeah, the the complex connection to Pride, which um, formed that poem there. So in, in that video you talked about you know, some of the violence and homophobia that you faced as a young person grappling with your queer identity and how that led you to kind of wanting to engage in some of, I guess, the more like builders, quote unquote, community spaces that exist, including events like the Pride March. So could you maybe elaborate on those experiences? Growing up, I don't really honestly remember anyone talking much about gay people. I didn't really know that that was an option. Um, And so when I realised, when I came out to myself, um, it was, it opened up a whole new world to me. And I was really eager and really excited to experience connection and to experience understanding. Um, And that took me into some places that current me can't imagine being in. Like I was hardcore into um, marriage equality. Like I was, I was leading those rallies because I, I really, engaged with that sort of understanding of queer liberation with my own liberation I saw an injustice and I wanted to be a part of fixing that and I didn't quite have the language or the understanding of myself or my own experiences to see further complexities in that so in that time of my life I was also reaching for pride march I was reaching for the queer events I was reaching for the parties and never being satisfied by them but really reaching for them out of desperation because what else is there? The L word, you know, <laughs> we didn't have a lot. It was a bleak time. Um, and it was really hard, you know, reaching for those spaces where I thought I was going to find acceptance and being met with racism, um, being met with sexism, um, being tokenized, you know, in the opposite end of that. Um, yeah, it just, they're just not safe spaces and they're very much curated for white cis gay men typically and you know what I'm finding at the moment around this poem is that their idea of diversifying these spaces means incorporating white cis queer women into those spaces and well take diversity you know and wow how radical and amazing are we and it's a really I think speaks to the ways that white women uphold oppressive systems to further their own sense of liberation while stomping on the rest of us um to further themselves yeah absolutely I think it's a a pattern of whiteness where um you know kind of regardless of people would choose whiteness in order to kind of get closer to that power, which we have seen kind of, yeah, from the cis white gay main community. And yeah, I guess it's not surprising, but frustrating to see it kind of replicated in other parts of the community as well. And, and I think we think better of ourselves. Yeah. I think, we, no, 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 gays don't do that. We're not like that. That's something that heteros do. And it's not the case. Um, and there is so much heteronormativity and there's so much patriarchy ingrained in popular queer culture And if we don't accept that, then we can't interrogate it and we can't go further than that. Mm. Yeah. And I guess like, um, you know, we kind of touched on this concept earlier when Iris was chatting to Nick about this, um, you know, idea we have of community, which you also spoke about in your video, this fallacy of community. Um, And I think, you know, I have definitely had this experience too of going into these sort of, you know, queer community spaces, but then kind of of re-experiencing the feeling of... um, 
you know, kind of being forced to fragment our identities or segment ourselves off in order to be accepted, which is a really violent practice that happens to queer people from the sort of, you know, cisgender hetero world around us. Um, And, you know, you obviously mentioned that you've experienced that in terms of racism and tokenism. Like, how does that feel for you going into those spaces and, you know, where you kind of expect to receive safety and then have that? You know, I think that I'm, I'm really interested by that word that you just used, segmenting, the ways that we have to sort of break ourselves off and experience ourselves off in one way to be able to exist in a space and try to pass through that space safely. And when we're talking about queerness, I think that really speaks to the almost monoculture of queerness, this idea that there is one way to experience queerness and queerness is rainbows, Queerness is glitter, queerness is, you know, the L word, queerness is football, or, you know, all of these, you know, stereotypes. What does it mean to not be a queer that fits into that? And where is the space for a different, for different cultural understandings of queerness? My understanding of queerness as an Aboriginal person does not fit into what Midsummer is trying to sell me. Mm. I don't want to march with the cops. I don't want to march with the enforcers of a colony that has stolen my land and refuses to give it back to me and refuses to undermine my sovereignty every single day. I don't want to march with your minions and claim to be proud of my queerness. That's not what my queerness is. That's not what my queerness will ever be. Mm. So it's a really strange mentality that and not just midsummer right like this isn't just midsummer this is pride march almost like i don't i've never i haven't been to every pride march in the world but i safe to say i feel like most pride marches in the world are following this particular narrative Mm. following this particular idea of freedom and have not stopped to consider what they are upholding and what they are reinforcing when they allow agents of the state to march alongside queerness. Mm. What is queerness becoming then? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, yeah, it it feels a little bit like as, you know, the the sort of the homonormativity and the kind of move of corporate the corporatization of queerness towards you know fitting more into that lens it's a certain narrowing of kinds um and the way I hear you speak about your experience um it kind of it almost meets that with quite an expansiveness I feel and I kind of wanted to go into um talking about you have an article up on SBS titled writing new roads of possibility and combating an aboriginalist future where you kind of explore the frameworks of speculative fiction and futurism that help to imagine new possibilities for writing Aboriginal futures and creating kind of, you know, new imaginative futures. Um, And I guess I'm really interested in that concept too. And uh, yeah, I guess maybe I wonder if you want to talk about that framework just generally, first of all, and then we could maybe think about how it might apply Mm -hmm. to kind of queer futurism and liberation. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Have you ever written speculative fiction or futurism? I don't think I have, no. It's really hard. (laughs) It is really hard. It's really hard to try to challenge or remove the limitations of your current situation to imagine a future beyond this. Because if I was to sit in our current narrative and look down our future, look down our path and imagine what is coming ahead, I can come up with some pretty bleak ideas of where we're going and not have a lot of hope. So when we try to sit and we try to think about a world in the future where cops don't exist, how did we get there? What do we do once we're there? To sit down and write speculative fiction is incredibly challenging and it's something I'm dedicated to, but it's, you know, it's really pushing me to the limits. Um, because you have to do so much unlearning and so much unimagining to begin to reimagine. So what does speculative f- future or speculative fiction, you know, bring to queer liberation? I, you know, 
I think the question is, what can queer liberation bring to other parts? You know what I mean? Mm. Because I think queerness as an intersection exists in every possible aspect of our lives, of society. Everything can be queered. Mm. Um, And, you know, the liberation of Palestine is a queer issue. The Jaburung birthing trees are a queer issue. It's not just glitter. It's not just marriage equality. It's not just partying. It's not just the L word. It's so much more than that. Queerness exists in every part of us. So when we're looking to queer liberation in the future, really that hinges on the liberation of everyone else. Mm. And that kind of, I feel like that links back to what we're saying about, you know, the way that a lot of kind of current uh, large and corporatized queer spaces force that segmentation. It's kind of creating that future where there is a space for wholeness. And when we're segmented, we can be used, Mm. right? Which is what the pinkwashing that we see. um, Actually, you know, that I'm I'm starting to realise more and more that colonial states really like to use us for their benefit Mm. and use us use us in our segmented, fractured way to further their own agendas, um, which we've seen Israel doing with Palestine, promoting itself as a queer-friendly location while bombing and massacring Palestinian, Indigenous Palestinian people, which we see the Australian government doing. You know, even just this morning I was reflecting on... um, when marriage equality was passed and the whole, you know, plebiscite, and at the same time there were so many big issues that were being completely overwhelmed and completely resting in the shadows of the marriage equality debate at the time. And it felt so strategic to me that all of a sudden the Australian government wanted to talk about marriage equality and really cared about the queers while some really key violations of human rights were being perpetrated by the Australian government. And so I think when we're segmented off, when we're, you know, brought down to this one facet of self, then we can be used to erase the queerness that exists in every other injustice, the the queerness of people in, you know, being held in detention dissenters, the, the queerness in Palestine, the queerness of Aboriginal sovereignty. I know what they're doing. Yeah. It's strategic. Yeah. And it, yeah, it does really, you know, it hurts to see those same tactics used by people who we consider, you know, kind of experiencing and um, connected to us in some way through. We would hope. Yeah. We would hope. (laughs) Um, So I guess, you know, in your video on Instagram, you asked, um, can pride be saved? And I guess like, you know, kind of thinking about what we've just talked about. How do you feel about that question? (laughs) I was expecting this question. (laughs) And I really, I really don't know because mm. I have an emotional attachment to pride. You know, coming out as a young person, it did bring me something. I'm not going to lie, you know, being a part of a group, being able to march in the streets, you know, after experiencing homophobia from, you know, my family and from friends and from randoms in the street, it felt so powerful as a 19-year-old to walk as a group en masse through tiny, quiet little Adelaide. We didn't have an audience, but it felt, you know, it felt important to me. It felt significant. I do have an emotional attachment. I think, and, you know, historically, Pride Pride March does hold history. It does, it did start off in a radical way. It did, it was invested in intersectional freedom and it's been co-opted by corporations, by capitalism, by fucking, by cops. Like, I don't know how we got here, but it happened, yeah. you know. It's, I I want to have hope, but do we just cut our losses and, like, <laughs> create something new? Maybe. But yeah. who's to say that it won't happen again? We need to figure out how this happened, how we got here, how do we combat it? Because to not understand what happened, I think we run the, the risk of, re-perpetuating that mistake Mm. um yeah absolutely there's um 
it's like part of that futuring work is also remembering and we have to tie it all together absolutely in order to get somewhere new um and i would love to keep chatting but unfortunately we are coming to the end of the show so i want to say thank you so much for joining me thanks for having me it was fun it's been great and um listeners if you'd like to um if you missed the start of our interview or if you'd like to hear the poem again you can check out laniansk's instagram um, the video is up there. Mm-hmm. My Instagram handle is at Laniuk, L-A-N-I-Y-U-K. Great. And that's it for the show today. Thanks so much for listening in. It's been really great to be back on the air at 3CR. Up next on the station, we have the Hip Sister Hop show. So stay tuned for that. And I'll see you next time. We're going to go out with a song by Simona Castricum. This song is Triumph. You're on 3CR. <laughs>
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.